Zechariah chapter 5. And last time we were together, we looked at chapter 4, where we saw this sort of self-fueling menorah. And it was a prophecy to Zerubbabel, which said, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, I'm going to do it. And at the end of it, you're going to shout, grace, grace. You're going to see the power of God, the wisdom of God, the working of God in accomplishing these things. And... Um, so the promise was, and in the vision, if you would, the temple now was built, although it would still be uh, a little under four years till they would complete it. In God's mind, it was a done deal. And uh, so we come to chapter 5, then I turned and raised my eyes and saw there a flying scroll. We would say a flying book, but they didn't have books in those days. The printing press was not yet made, and so uh, there's this scroll, if you would, and it's flying through the air. And he said to me, what do you see? And I answered, uh, a flying scroll? <laughs> right. Its length is 20 cubits, and it's width 10 cubits. Now, we don't measure today in cubits, so it looks a little odd, but that was the way they measured in those days, typically from the tip of their finger to the end of their elbow, which was right around 18 inches so if you calculate that out, this thing's huge, 30 feet by 15 feet. Now, we go to Israel, and we go down to the welling wall there and into that place of prayer. I think I'm going to use this microphone. Let's try that, guys. And uh, we go down to the welling wall there, and usually somebody's being bar mitzvahed, and sure enough, they bring out the Torah. And it is. They, they bring them in rather huge scrolls, three, four feet, and they walk around with them. And, and then they, uh, what they do is they, um, everybody kisses them, and then they put them on the table, and they open them up, and they begin to, to read from them. And uh, so, but this one is enormously huge. And then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. Every thief shall be expelled according to this side of the scroll and every perjurer. It's a little different word, the same things used in verse 4 and it says thief and then it says swears falsely. So a person who is cursing, if you would, blaspheming, if you would, shall be expelled according to that side of it. So this scroll, scroll had two sides. On one side, the guy was a thief. The other side, he was blaspheming, swearing, cursing. Now, again, you got to remember that Zechariah was indeed of the lineage of the priesthood. But as any Jewish boy, he would have had the first five books of the Bible memorized. And uh, so a lot of things that we just sort of glance over, they had memorized. And so something that was... 20 cubits by 10 cubits would have registered where in the Bible else was there something 20 by 10. And actually there's three different things that were 20 by 10. One of them was the front porch area where the scriptures would be read in the temple called the Solomon's porch. Another was actually the holy place in, in the tabernacle in Exodus 26. And then also the altar of sacrifice that's right outside the front of the temple doors where they would bring their sacrifices. And 2 Chronicles 4 tells us they were each 20 by 10. And so a place where the scripture is read, a place where the holy place, where the tabernacle dwelt, a place where the altar, where sin sacrifice was given. And then we also know this thing had two sides to it. Now as we... Look again in the scriptures. We discover that the Ten Commandments in Exodus 32.15 tells us it was written on two sides. Now what's interesting about that is if you look at the Ten Commandments, and it tells us there that the first five are those towards God, sins against God. The second five are sins against man. And when you look at it, Really, all the sins against man are, are ripping him off. And this is what he's saying. Whether you're lying about him or you're committing adultery or stealing from him, all of them, in essence, are you're ripping him off. In the same way, whether you're bowing down and worshiping another idol or not honoring the Lord or using his name in vain, all of it is blaspheming God. 
And so he's saying that the sins against man and the sins against God are going to be judged. We also see a similar type of thing in Ezekiel chapter 2. There's a scroll, and again, it was written on both sides, and it was the woes and the judgments against Israel. He ate it, and it was sweet in his mouth, and it got sour in his stomach. And then in the book of Revelation, when the seven seals were broken in Revelation 5, and the judgment of God began to pour upon the world, again, they were written on both sides. And so here he says, as he sees this flying huge scroll written on both sides, it says there, this is a curse. And notice where this curse is, against the whole earth. So this isn't isolated to Israel. This is a judgment upon all men, Gentiles and Jews. And every thief shall be expelled according to this side of the scroll, and every perjurer shall be expelled according to that side. Now look at verse 4. I will send out the curse, says the Lord of hosts. It shall enter, notice, the house of the thief, the house of the one who swears falsely by my name, and it shall remain in the midst of his house and consume or purge out, destroy, cut off, kill with its timber and its stones. Notice that terminology, timbers and stones. Again, Zechariah, being a priest, would have known this passage in Leviticus chapter 14, verses 33 to 45, in particular 45, when a person had some white fungus growing, whether it was on a towel or on the side of his house or on his body, the priests were to come, and one of the things they learned how to do was to tell if it was leprosy or not. And if it was leprosy, everything, the timbers and the stones, were burned in a violent heat. And so here God says, sin is going to be revealed for what sin really is. It's going to come into the house and it's going to remain. Like leprosy, you're going to see the destruction of it. Like leprosy, you're going to see the wickedness, the wretchedness of it. And then it's going to be judged. I will, God says. I will do it. When we see in Revelation 16, and it says, finally, God's going to make things right and the right judgment's going to come. It says that all of heaven began to rejoice and it began to sing, Oh God, your judgment is true and righteous, even though it damned all those that were not right with God to the lake of fire forever and ever. They were singing praises to God because of his judgment. Because it purged, it cleansed, it got rid of, and it allowed that which is pure to carry on without defilement. And so, this often happens. My sermons are so hot, they think it's a fire. And uh, ushers already know how to handle this. And uh, so it's fire and brimstone messages. Does it every time. And uh, so what we see here is God saying, here is this judgment, this curse, and it's flying. It's not coming on a camel. It's not walking up a hill. It's flying. As you know, when you see things flying, you see it all of a sudden away off, and all of a sudden it's right on top of you. In other words, coming. It's coming swiftly. It's, it's, it's above it. You're not going to get away from it. You can run through the thicket. It's still going to see you. It's always funny on those police chases. You know, Here's a helicopter and a guy running and hiding. You know, It's like this big light following him wherever he goes. He's hiding in the bush. Nobody will find me in the bush. Boom, you know, this big light on the bush. And this is what it's saying. You're not going to escape it. You're not going to get away from it. And you're hiding. And then finally you get into your house. Your house isn't going to be your protection. Your house isn't going to be a safety. That leprosy on you is going to get on the wall and get on the kids and get on the wife and get on the... It's going gonna, it's gonna to spread and everything is going to be destroyed in that day. And in this first, this prophecy here, this is actually the sixth prophecy, the first, sixth vision we're looking at here, God is, is making it known that his judgment is coming. And it's going to come swiftly. And it's going to be seen for what it really is. It always blows my mind that man thinks that his sin will not catch up with him. And what you actually have is... is Man comparing himself to others, which is never wise, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 10. But we often compare ourselves to the world and we say, I'm not wicked, look at the world. <laughs> I'm not sinful, look at the world. Well, if you took that same 
equation and you took it 20 years back in history, if you were a notch ahead of the world today, 20 years ago, you would have been considered wicked by the world. I don't know if you saw this week in the newspaper. It was just absolutely ridiculous. But it said there that the homosexual bishop was cleared of all charges of immorality. There was a time when homosexuality was immoral. But that, you know, the fact he's a homosexual doesn't mean anything. It isn't even, that's not even a, a question whether that's evil or not. We know it's a wonderful thing. It's like a dog being a dog or a cat being a cat. Homosexual is homosexual. He's born that way. That's his life. That is a lie. That is right from the, a voice right from the very pit of hell. It's an absolute perversion. It's wickedness. It is sin. It's an abomination in the eyes of God. It's not a vague concept we read in the scriptures trying to figure out, well, is it really wrong or not wrong? I don't know. You know, the scriptures are sort of vague about this particular sin. It's not. <laughs> read what it says in the Old Testament. Read what it says in the New Testament in Romans 1. Homosexuality is an abomination. It's one of the last abominations that, that man can commit, and God finally just throws up his hands and says, do what you want. It, it's, it's the last thing. But yet, it has nothing to do with the fact that he's a homosexual. It has to do with the fact, did we find pornography on the internet? Or did he touch somebody that didn't want to be touched sexually? That's the only questions they had. And when neither one of those could be founded, or, you know, it wasn't enough pornography to matter. I mean, it was just, you know, few hours. Whatever it was, they rationalized in their mind, it was no great sin, and of course he can be a bishop. And there he is, him, his lover, and their daughter, his daughter from a previous marriage, and there they are standing in this wonderful press conference talking about all the things he wants to do for Jesus Christ and for the church. And I'll tell you what, it took every bit of my self-control not to blow chunks all over my TV. It absolutely grossed me out. But again, I had to stop and say, God, Does it have to get to this point for us to hate sin the way you hate sin? Does it, do we love good? Do we love righteousness the way you love righteousness? And the reality is, is that we, the church, and the Bible says in the last days that compromise is going to be one of the signs of the last days in the church. And the Bible says in the last days there's going to be an apostasia, a great falling away. Well, it just happened with the Episcopal Church this last week. Okay, I mean, they've been accepting homosexuality for a long time, but now it's just blatant in your face. Not only are we accepting it, we're lifting it up as a high standard of morality, a wonderful thing. And that's what Jesus wants. That's apostasia, guys. <laughs> you can't get any more apostate than that. Now here's how desensitized we are. I've been preaching now for over 20 years. I started when I was three. And uh, it, was, it was an amazing thing. And uh, 20 years ago, or even less, really, I would just mention the word homosexuality, and I would have people coming up going, Brian, that is not an appropriate thing to even mention in the church. That is absolutely gross. It was so disgusting that you even mentioned that in the church. I couldn't hear anything else in the message. It was just so disgusting. Would you please not talk about it? Now you talk about homosexuality. It's absolutely no problem whatsoever. It doesn't gross people out. It doesn't bother people. It's just something that we have to deal with every day on a regular basis. Well, I'll tell you what I've been saying for almost a decade. When you look in the scriptures on homosexuality, right next to it, you see bestiality. I used to say the day's coming when they're going to force in your face that you will accept homosexuality, that it'll be an absolute approved thing, and even churches, mainline denomination churches, will encourage their pastors to, to accept homosexuality, and they'll have no problem with pastors being homosexuals. People thought that was heretical. People thought that was crazy. But yet the Bible says the day shall be as Sodom and Gomorrah. It's there. 
It's not something in the future anymore. <laughs> it's here. We are in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says of Lot that his righteous soul is vexed every day. I pray that our righteous soul is vexed every day. But in the same way, I've been saying for a decade, bestiality is going to be in your face. In other words, what's wrong? Why, why can't you accept this guy wanting to marry his dog? He loves that dog. You should see them together. They're incredibly compatible. Put him on his insurance plan. What's your problem? You church, a bunch of legalistic, stuck-up, narrow-minded people. You're telling me a, God can't, a guy can't love his dog the same way a man could love his wife? Same-sex marriage. Do you, Fido, take... You're saying, Brian, this is gross. This is sick. Well, this is the way it used to be when I used to talk about homosexuality. People used to think it was ridiculous and sick then. They don't anymore because it's not ridiculous. And unfortunately, because of the constant push, the constant pressure, the desensitization in the movies, in the media, in your face, accept it, accept it, it's good, it's pure, it's right. Our forefathers made it clear that there were certain things that could not be published, could not be talked about in this way because they said that even the most absurd things, if said enough, will seem rational after a while. And that was the concept. And so now this absolutely ridiculous, absurd thing. They had an apologist on and they said, what do you think of same-sex marriage? Same. Same, same, equals to, as the same. So a man having sex with a woman, and then he began to go into detail. I won't go into detail this morning, but he began to go into detail. What is same about it? A woman's body is not the same as a man's body. A woman can have children. There's nothing same about it. It's perverted. But yet they're saying, same sex. It's not the same. It's completely opposite. It's wicked. It's an abomination. But now I've got to bring it back to our place today. Have we compromised? Have we said it, it's not going to catch up with us? It's not going to matter that I am dabbling in this or watching this or listening to this or my morality is like this. Because... Everybody else is the same way. Everybody else is just as moral or immoral, however you want to look at it, as I am. It's not like I am in some special category from other Christians. Well, okay, I have to agree with you on that. But it doesn't mean that God's not going to come and judge with his righteous judgment. In 1 John chapter 2, it says that we would walk even as he, Jesus, walked. The Bible says in 1 John 1 that God is light and in him is no darkness at what? At all. But what do we often do? We often, we often say it's no big deal. It's a little bit of nudity, but I can just fast forward past it. Your entertainment, is that important to you? Well, you know, it's rated R because of the violence, but, you know, it's no big deal. You know, in, in Genesis, you read it, you know why the number one reason God destroyed the world with the flood? Read it. It's violence. I mean, there was other stuff going on. Don't get me wrong. But violence was the issue mentioned over and over again. Read it in Genesis 6. Violence is the reason God destroyed the world with the flood. Are we so desensitized it doesn't matter that there's violence? It doesn't matter if there's nudity. It doesn't matter if there's some homosexual guy in the movie who's the partner with some other guy. It doesn't, oh, we just, we look past that because our entertainment is so important that we're willing to put that junk in our minds. We're willing to let that stuff desensitize us because, you know, we've got to be entertained. The reality is, guys, I think Satan has done a better job at diluting us than we realize. He's brought us down to a, a low common denominator so we have no longer a spiritual desire. We can't, we can't just pray and seek the Lord as we desire because we have been so compromised that our spiritual hunger is no longer even there. In a sense, good is not good enough. And in many cases, good is evil. And the reality is, is evil is not evil enough and 
in some cases, evil is good. It's rated art. Oh, good. There's a little nudity in it. Oh, good. It's incredibly violent. Oh, wow. Got to rent that one. Got to watch that one. Hmm. In reality, our heart is now wicked. And so now we come to, to going to church more than one time a week. Oh, I can't. I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. I've got all kinds of things happening this week. The reality is you can't give a couple hours on Sunday night because you don't have the spiritual desire. You don't have the spiritual strength. Let's go to a movie. Well, I don't know. This movie's three and a half hours. All right, more bang for my buck. Hey, church might go 15 minutes long. Oh, man. Oh, this is killing me, man. It's your heart. The reality is, is you are saying in your heart, I want the world. I want the world's entertainment more than I want God and to seek the face of God. And that light is going to declare your life or what your life really is. Not what you want to appear it to be. Not what it, you want it to look like it to be. But for what it truly, truly is. It's flying. It's coming fast. There's not a lot of time to drag it out. It's huge. It's going to find you no matter where you're at. You will not escape it. And when it comes, it's going to remain there. And that cancer, that, that leprosy is going to grow over the house until everything is destroyed. The timber and the stones, all of it's going to be burned in an incredible fire. And the reality is, is some of you guys are living in such compromise. Your kids have your leprosy. Your wife has your leprosy. It's spreading. It's not uncommon for somebody to come in and say, man, my kid is just messed up. You know, he's all sexed out. And then you find out they have HBO in their house. In the evening times, there's pornography on it. Well, you know, you get the latest movies and it's a lot cheaper in the long run and all this. And it's, it's worth having this leprosy in my house. It's, it's just on my TV. <laughs> it hasn't grown past my TV. Of course it is. Then you find out this teenage son, as soon as the parents went to bed, they went in and, and watched pornography every night. And they've been doing that since they've been 12 years old. And now all of a sudden they're 16 and they, they're just they're totally messed up. Because evil wasn't evil enough. It was a little evil, but it wasn't evil. The reality is you ripped. You're a thief. You ripped your kids off. You're a blasphemer because you put another idol up in your house. You've sinned against man and you've sinned against God and your sin shall surely find you out. And it'll be for what it really is, not what I think it is, not what your neighbor thinks it is, not what the world thinks it is, not what the best Christian on earth thinks it is, but a holy and a righteous God in whom is no shadow of turning, who there is no darkness at all, who sees it for what it really is. And your light... Your life is going, the light's going to be shine. And the Bible says that we're going to be naked and exposed before him to whom we have to do. There's not going to be anything hidden. Are you ready? Are you ready? Many shall come in that day and say, Lord, Lord. Did, didn't I? And then they go on about their list. And he says, you doers of iniquity, you did not do my will. I had never known you. The reality is, is whatever you called Christianity wasn't Christianity. Whatever you called walking with God was not really walking with the God whom there is no darkness at all, who there is no shadow of turning to walk even as he walked. It's not been a part of your life because these things are so important, these worldly things, these things of entertainment, these things of, of money, these things of materialism, whatever it might be, are there that are so important to you that you can't, let go those weights and those sins that so easily are tripping you up that you could run that race with endurance. And here he's making it clear that the day of judgment is coming. It's going to come, and it's very soon. Well, look at the second one in chapter 5, actually vision number 7. It says, Then the angel who talked with me came out and said to me, 
Lift your eyes now and see what this is that goes forth. So I asked, well, what is it? And he said, it's a basket that's going forth. Now, literally, it's an ephra. And an ephra was actually a weight of measurement. It was the largest weight of measurement they had between five and seven pounds of dried grain. So if you were wanting seed or you were wanting wheat, they would use this bucket, this basket, to measure that out. Now, just like the scroll was enlarged, so this ephra is enlarged. But that's what it looked like. I think probably for the best picture, picture a 55-gallon drum. Okay, you guys know the big metal ones? And, you know, you gals, you know, where you run into them on the, they have on the cars, you know, or the, on, the, on the freeway where you, you can run into them and it'll protect you. They have stuff. Anyway, so give you a picture, 55 line gram. And then on top of it, we're going to see is this giant lead lid, sort of like a giant manhole. And, um, and I asked, what is it? And he said, it's a basket that is going forth. And he also said, this is their resemblance or a symbol or a type throughout the earth. So again, this is not just Israel, but all the earth. Here is a lead disc lifted up, and this is a woman sitting inside the basket. So he lifts the metal lid up, and inside is this woman in this basket. And she's sitting there. The word sitting means she's settled in. She's not wanting to leave. Literally, it means she's married to it. She, this is what she wants. And then he said... What does this woman referring represent? This is wickedness. Now, you've got to understand, in the Hebrew idioms, a woman represented evil. Okay? I don't agree with it. I think it's absolutely horrible. But uh, that's just the way it was. Okay? And so, you know, we, we do that. We put a she to certain things. A city is a she, or a boat is a she, or, um, this, you know, liberty is a she. In, in our culture, we have the Statue of Liberty, which is a woman. So we, we, we do genders in that way. And so in the Hebrew culture, I mean, you'll see, for example, God says, you know, picture himself as a husband. And she, the woman, is an adulterous, an idolatrous uh, uh, woman, a harlot. And that was the picture of Israel, the she. Or Jesus said, uh, the woman takes and puts the leaven in the mill. The woman representing putting evil within the, the bread and, and the leaven causes the bread to, to get big. So these are an idiom. And so, you know, get past that. I'll also tell you that wisdom is a she. Um, so there you go. There's, there's a balance. Of course, it could just mean a very wise, wicked woman. But this is one thing we know for sure. Absolutely certain. This woman is a basket case. That we know for sure. And then he said, <laughs> this he said, this is wickedness, and he thrust her into the basket. So he just grabs her head and forces her back in there, and he threw the lead cover on its mouth. And then he raised my, then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings. So the women, like, looks like they were women flying, and they had wings like a stork. So they're flying like a giant stork, these women. And they grabbed the basket. They lifted up the basket between the earth and heaven, so very, very high. So I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they carrying the basket? And he said to me, to build a house for it in the land of Shinar. Shinar, if you read in Daniel 1, it's Babylon. In Genesis 10, 8, uh, read, and also in Genesis 11, 1 through 9, uh, Shinar is the ancient site of Babylon where Nazaria is today, uh, just uh, a little bit south of Baghdad there. And um, that is where it's at today. And so he, he took her to Babylon. And uh, it's interesting that that was the place that evil really began. Remember the Tower of Babel? They built. They were going to build this giant structure that went into heaven. And God had to scatter the languages there in Genesis 11. And before that, Nimrod, who it says he was a hunter before the Lord. Or literally, he was a hunter in the face of God. In other words, he was a blasphemer of God. So that sort of a, is a location where it started. Not too far from there is where the Garden of Eden began. So... Um, and it said there, when it was ready, the basket will be set there on its base. When it is set there. When it's ready. So in the future, not now, it's going to be set up there. It's going to have a solid base. A house is going to be built for it there uh, in Babylon. So now we, we have, as we put the two visions together, we have a timeline. The first vision is talking about right before the tribulation period. Because this picture of this woman 
in the basket with the lead lid is actually uh, a picture of the, the she is referring to the city of Babylon or the system of Babylon that's going to be revived uh, in the last days where the Antichrist is going to have his economic system rule from. And uh, your homework is to go and read Revelation 16, 17, 18, and 19. Since you're already there, might as well read 2021 20, too and you finish the Bible. But uh, read those chapters and you'll read about this future uh, setup of Babylon. And um, a matter of fact, why don't you turn over there to chapter 17. We'll look at a, a few verses on it. And then we'll, we'll come and we'll finish this up. In Revelation chapter 17. There, starting in verse 1. Revelation 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who, is, who sets on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. Inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. I saw a woman sitting as a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Remember the ten horns? The book of Daniel, the ten kingdoms of the revived Roman Empire, which is the European common market, I believe, of the day. The, Roman was arrayed, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having her hand a golden cup full of abominations, the filthiness of her fornication. So just filthy, rich, materialistic up the yin-yang, and she's setting as royalty at this place. And in her forehead, a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, those who made it who did not take the mark of the beast in the tribulation period and uh, who are now being persecuted because they're believers in Jesus in the tribulation period. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. And he said to me, The waters which you saw were the harlot sets, the peoples, the multitudes, the nations, and the tongues. So the waters you see is this Babylonian system covering the entire world. It's her materialistic materialism. This financial system is permeated in the world. And then in verse 18, And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Now go to chapter 18. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, the prison for every foul spirit, a, a, gauge, uh, a cage for every unclean and hated notice, bird. So you see the two women like a stork. The stork uh, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy is an unclean animal. And so here are these two women coming, representing uh, wickedness themselves. And it's setting up the system. And all the nations are drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. The merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive her plagues. And in verse 7, In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure... Give her torment and sorrow, for she says in her heart, I said as queen, I am no widow. In other words, I didn't get this because my husband died. I'm the queen because I'm the queen. And I will not see sorrow. I don't care about God talking about judgment. He's, he can't, he's not powerful enough to judge me. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. Strong is the Lord God who judges her. God is a strong, the Bible says, mighty to save, but God is also mighty in judgment. And then in chapter uh, 19, <clears throat> and then I saw an angel standing in the sun, cried with a loud voice, saying, to all the birds that fly in the midst of the heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. And he goes on talking about how he's going to bring all the peoples of the earth and all the peoples of this kingdom uh, into destruction, and all the buzzards can come and eat their flesh. And then he says, uh, down in verse uh, 20, in the, middle, in the middle of that verse, these two who are cast alive into the lake of fire and brimstone, the rest were killed, the sword proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were killed, uh, or filled with their flesh. And then we, we go on and see in chapter 21, skip on down there, it says in verse 7, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and will be his God, and he shall be my son, but the cowardly. Isn't that interesting? That's the number one on the list. People who are 
trying to be politically correct and aren't standing up for righteousness. Homosexuality is wicked. I don't care what fallout I have from man. I'm going to stand up like a man for that which is righteous. I'm not going to cower away. But the cowardly, then the unbelieving, it's not talking about somebody who doesn't claim to believe in Christ, but somebody who didn't stand in faith on the promises of Christ and really live their life walking in trust in Christ. Then the abominable, look at the other list next to cowardly and unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. And Matthew 25 says, that place prepared for the devil and his angels. And so it's interesting if we look at the times we are in. It's just amazing to me. The Bible says when you see the fig tree getting its leaves, you can know the figs are right behind it. So you, when you see that, get ready. Because my coming is near. Think about it. As you look at prophecy, there's three things that need to fall into place. The one thing is Israel being a nation. You've got to realize, 60 years ago, this was not a reality. It didn't even seem like it ever become a reality. And in 1948, less than 60 years ago, guys, this took place. Think about that. Within our lifetime, and a little before our lifetime for some of us, Israel was not a nation. The thought of Israel becoming a nation was, was impossible. But here it is now, a, na a nation. Not only is it a nation, but now in 67, they took Jerusalem. So Israel is a nation. Their capital is Jerusalem. Wow, just pinch yourself. This is real, guys. That right there is enough to tell you the Lord's coming is very near. But then the next thing we see in the book of Daniel is the Ten Horns, the Ro revival of the Roman Empire. And now we have the European Union. I have the first article when it talked about the uh, Euro coin. And, and there, that very first article says the Euro coin will never work until all of Europe can come together and find identity in one man. I about fell on my chair when I read that. And right now, the Euro coin sort of floundering. It's picking up speed. But we know exactly what's going to happen. The, it's going to eventually be 10 nations or 10 unions, 10 key areas. And then one is going to raise up out of that area, take over the three, and then he's going to start ruling and reigning. Right now, the European, the revival of the Roman Empire is on its way. It's happening. The Euro coin is in place. And then the third thing we see is Babylon. The Bible tells us that Babylon would be built as the economic system. So the Antichrist is going to set up a one-world um, religion, a one-world economic system, and one-world military power. And that one-world uh, material system, its, its hub is going to be Babylon. Now, we just went there, and we, we just overtook that place. Now, think about it. Are you telling me that Syria and Iran and Sudan and Yemen, there's a lot of places that, that need exactly what Iraq got, and they're just as bad. I mean, Sudan... Oh, it's it's a hundred times worse than Iraq. Talking about some place that needs to be overtaken and put in order. There's a lot of places that need what we did for Iraq. Why in all, all the world did we pick Iraq? I believe it's all a part of prophecy and its fulfillment. Right now the whole world is focused on Iraq. So here we are, if you to turn on the news. And you know what? It doesn't matter where you're at in the world. I've been down in Peru. I've been in England. I've been in Hungary. I've been down in Croatia. You can turn on the TV wherever you're at. And you know what you'll see? Just like us, they have a half an hour news, which means the time you take in the intros, the exits, the advertisements, you've got about 16 minutes of news. And in that 16 minutes, Israel will be mentioned, the European Union will be mentioned, and Iraq will be mentioned. The three places that the Bible says are the key places for the end times where the Antichrist is going to rule and reign. And it's on a regular basis that this, is, this takes place. Now you start thinking, man, Israel mentioned every day. Is there not conflicts other places in the world? I mean, is all of a sudden El Salvador completely at peace? <laughs> is all of a sudden the African nations no longer at war? So why is Israel this incredible thing that all the world's focused. You know how small Israel is? It's the size of Southern California. It's the size of Rhode Island. 
I mean, you think about other nations. Brazil is bigger than continental United States. If you added a Texas to the continental United States, I'm not talking about Hawaii and Alaska, but the continental United States, you have to add a Texas, you get the size of Brazil. Peru is, is a third of the size of the United States. I mean, there's a lot of places, a lot bigger, and, and in a lot of ways, a lot more significant than Israel, as far as looking at it as, from a worldly point of view. But yet, why are they fixated on Israel? It's because God is telling us, believers, are you watching? <laughs> How can I not watch? Are you ready? That's the question. Look, if you would, at a couple of passages we close here today in Romans 13. In Romans 13, he says there in verse 11, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in rivalry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Here he's saying, knowing it's your time is far spent. Guys, it's time to wake up. The coming of the Lord is very, very near. Get rid of the works of darkness, all those sinful things that are clinging to you, a part of your life, the practice of life, and start walking properly the way you ought to walk in the day. Not in the night, but in the day. Look over to Luke chapter 21. The Gospel of Luke chapter 21. He says there in verse 34, talking about the end times, in Luke 21 verse 34, but take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down. How? With sin, with the corruption, with the perversion in the world carousing, drunkenness, the cares of this life, getting caught up with what all the world gets caught up with. And that day come upon you unexpectedly. We know it's coming unexpectedly to the world, but not to us believers. We're supposed to be expectedly waiting. For it will come as a snare on those who are on the face of the earth. But watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. He says here, to watch and to pray. You know, I, I want to make a, a, a point here real quick. We're going to look at one more passage. We're going to end here. Guys, I, I really ask you to do some soul searching today. I believe the Lord's coming. When I saw that homosexual bishop standing there with his lover and his daughter and talking about Jesus Christ and how... God's going to give him the strength to help the church and all that. I, I, I immediately said in my heart, it's, it's here. The days are as Sodom and Gomorrah. The days are as Noah, given and taken in marriage. People say, well, doesn't there have to be a financial collapse? No, the opposite. In Ezekiel 16, it was a place, it was a time of, of wealth. It was a time where everything financially was going well. That's the reason they were able to be so perverted. Because they didn't have the concerns about finances. And I realized it's now. The Lord's coming is now. We are in the days. There is really nothing else. You, you have the entire table set. You've got Israel. You've got the European common market. You've got Babylon. The world focus on Babylon. It's going to be rebuilt by the Antichrist as a world economic center. It's all right there. It's all the stages now set. Morally, it's exactly the way God said, or immorally is the way God said it's going to be. We're here. And here he, he makes it clear, we need to be watching and praying. And I, and I say this so importantly to you guys. God has shown us, me as a pastor, us as a leadership, we as a congregation need to get together Sunday night and pray. We need to pray. We have a time of worship, we have a time in the Word, and then we seek the face of God. It should be the most attended but it's the least attended. Now, I'm not saying that the place isn't full. It is. But another 
four or five weeks, we're going to be in our brand new building. There'll be room for everybody, but come now. Sit outside. We'll set up a TV. We'll have speakers. We've done it in the past. We can do it again. We can pack more people in there. But ask yourself, why can I not come to church Sunday night? Why can I not spend time in prayer? Is it because of your own affections of your heart or so drifted in other places that you don't have the spiritual strength to pray one hour with us? In the course of your week, with all the hours you have, 24 hours in a day, seven days a week, you can't spend one hour with the body of Christ on your face in a fervent prayer crying out to God? Well, Brian, you do in the service late. 7.30. 7.30 to 8.30 we pray. What are you doing this Sunday night from 7.30 to 8.30 that is more important than prayer? Now, I say this to you to just search your heart. God is your shepherd. I am not. <laughs> he will lead you. You need to be where God wants you to be. But I'm, I'm challenging many of you to say, I think the world has a greater grip on you than you realize. And the reality is, is you're not watching and praying. Thus, you're caught up with the things of the world. Thus, that day is going to come upon you unexpectedly. Thus, it is going to be a snare to you. Read the seven churches of Revelation. He warns them, get right, stay right, immediately, quickly repent, that you don't end up in that hour of trial, referring to the tribulation period, that your name isn't blotted out of the book of life. Read the books. It's a read, read there, the, Revelations 2 and 3. It's incredibly clear. He's telling Christians, believers, I'm writing to the churches, get right, stop your sin, stop your immorality. You, you, you have very little desire, he says to one church, but you better strengthen it quickly, lest you get left behind. That's what he says. And for many people today, I believe that where we are in the word is where we are. Now, I look out here and I just see a bunch of wonderful people who love the Lord. I, I don't see what I'm talking about. But really, nobody knows but you and God. Only you really know what's going on in your heart. Only you really know what's going on in your mind. Only you really know what you're doing when nobody else is around. Only you know what you would do if you had the opportunity to steal or commit adultery or whatever. Only you know what you would really do. The reality is you need to ask yourself that question because the time is now that the Lord's coming. One more verse and we're going to end. James chapter 4. I believe this is a verse in season. This is a prophecy this morning that this is for some this, this time right now to say you need to repent. It's on wings. It's coming swiftly. It's going to hit your house. It's going to remain. And things aren't going to change. For some of you, I believe judgments today. For some of you, I believe you're going to see, you're going to reap what you've sown this week. Some of you, I don't think you're going to see 2004, without incredible destruction upon your home because of your wicked ways, the leprosy is going to spread and the timber and the stones are all going to be lost. And God is saying to you here in James 4, therefore submit to God. You're not. Guys, let me tell you something. Every word of God is true. Every period, every comma, every bit of God's word is protected. It is all absolutely true. He doesn't mean anything other than what he said. And what he said, he means it exactly as he said it. Don't let man, don't let your mind, don't let the world take away from the power and the reality that all of God's word is true. Submit to it. Submit to him. Submit to his word. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And that's what you need to do. You need to let loose of those things that are holding you back and begin to pursue God. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Some of you need to cleanse your hands of your TV controls. You need to cleanse your hands of the pages you're turning. You need to cleanse your hands from what you're doing on the computer. You need to cleanse your hands from who you're calling. You need to cleanse your hands from what you're doing at church. You need to purify your hearts because you're double-minded. It says in Deuteronomy that the wicked man, when he hears the word of God, he says in his heart, even though I am drunk, I'll still be counted along with the sober. 
And there's some of you here today, even though you're living in your sin, in your mind, you say, I'm still going to be counted along with the Christians. I'm still going to be counted as one of those who will be raptured. I'm still going to be counted as one of those who are going to be right with God for all of eternity. And it's a deception in your mind. The Bible says if you're not a doer of the word, you have deceived yourself. And God is telling you right now, you cannot have the world and have him. The Bible says if you have a love of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. The Bible says if you have a love of the world, that you will hate God and the things of God. That the love of the Father cannot dwell in a compromising heart who has a, a love of the world. You've got to make your choice. You can't be double-minded. Is it God and his ways of purity and righteousness? Or is it your flesh? The Bible says he who lives for the flesh is dead while he lives. The Bible says he who lives a life after the flesh is not at peace with God and cannot be at peace with God because he is at war with God in Romans chapter 8. And so some of you need to see things as you are. But the reality is, is your heart can't fill it anymore. You're so far from God. You're so numb. You're so callous that it doesn't affect you anymore. It wouldn't matter if God himself were standing in front of you preaching this message. You're going, hey, I'm okay. You're okay. Live and let live. It's all good. Let's lighten up here. And so I say to you, lament and mourn and weep. I don't feel it. Do it anyway. You know what the word of God says. You should be lamenting, weeping, and mourning. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, your joy into gloom. Don't leave here and say, I'm going to go off and entertain myself. I'm going to go off and forget about this. I'm going to, you need to stop, get sober-minded, and take seriously what God is saying today. Make yourself be broken. Make yourself weep because of your sin. Turn all your laughter, your joy, into mourning and gloom, and humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. You need to fall upon that rock and be broken because that rock is soon going to come and fall upon you and crush you to powder. And in that day, there will be no hope. And he will lift you up. That's God's desire. Why is God saying this today? Because he wants to bum people out. God loves just talking about hell. God loves just to let the sinner know he's going to get him and boy, it's going to be fun. No. The word of God's written to people that are wanting the will of God. God is writing this not to condemn you, but to warn you. God is not trying to get you to be broken so you're broken so he can be above you. He's already above you. He wants you to be broken so he can lift you up. Jesus said, I did not come for the healthy. I came for the sick. And until you come as a sick sinner before God and seeing evil as he sees evil, seeing wickedness as he sees wickedness, seeing perversion as he sees perversion, not as you see it, not as... Other people see it, but as he sees it, guys, there's not another step. That is the next step. Humbling yourself in the sight of the Lord.